looking to have some family fun, join Western Outdoor News for the 17th annual Trout Fest at Big Bear Lake, October 1st and 2nd. We have some incredible prizes up for grabs, including Suzuki outboards and Sea Eagle boats. Plus, we have tons of tackle to give away, big cash payouts, and much, much more. All just for catching trout, which shouldn't be a problem thanks to a huge stocking just prior to the event. Based out of Big Bear Marina, Trout Fest 2022 kicks off with check-in on Friday, September 30th, followed by two days of fishing and fun on Saturday and Sunday, October 1st and 2nd. We have an award ceremony on Sunday and prize drawings for everybody, even if you don't catch a fish. Head to wonews.com slash tournaments to find out more about this popular family-friendly tournament and register today for a free goodie bag at registration. That's wonews.com slash tournaments for everything you need to know to get in on the Trout Fest at Big Bear Lake on October 1st and 2nd, 2022. He would say, if you were walking past a newsstand, would you stop if you saw this photo? And this one, there's no doubt. (laughs) Like anybody who fishes who sees this photo is going to stop and pick it up. And we're back to the Western Outdoor News Podcast. Welcome, welcome. We've got Mike Stevens joining the show this week. We're going to talk about this incredible cover shot that we have. We're going to talk about some Eastern Sierra stuff happening. And of course, this is right before the lobster opener. So we have plenty to discuss, along with a special guest interview with Jenny Hoffmeister, who's an environmental scientist with the Invertebrate Program at the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. So she has a ton of interesting facts about the lobster season coming up and lobster in general. She has some surprising facts that not everybody even knows. So stick around for that. In the meantime, Mike Stevens. Tell us about this cover. What what are we looking at on this cover this week in the September 30th issue of Western Outdoor News? Yeah, that was, uh, it's one of the coolest covers we've had in a while. Um, An angler, Dylan Reed, who's a captain with bite sport fishing. Um, He's, he was out on his boat, a very small (laughs) 14 foot boat called a Mexicat, which Turns out is a story in itself, but um, Dylan uh, was offshore um, out of San Diego around the Nine Mile Bank, uh, deep drop fishing for swordfish out of this boat, and he got one. Um, what was he doing on such a small boat? Well, he as a as a captain with with bite, um, he, he specializes in swordfish trips. Brandon Hayward kind of ushered him into that. I guess they have a history together on the long range boat. So, I mean, he's definitely a guy who knows what he's doing and he kind of caught, caught that swordfish bug just, you know, by being around it so much. And he said that last year he'd noticed the, he wanted to get one by himself. And, you know, every time the weather lined up for him last year, he didn't have a boat because all the bite, um, the parkers and stuff, their small boat, um, mini fleet, um, they would all be chartered. So we'd have no way to get out there. So he got lucky with this, uh, this very cool boat. I haven't ever seen anything like it. And I guess, um, you know, they're made down in Ensenada. Um, they're called Mexicats. They're 14 foot. There's a lot of fishability built into them. Um, 
and he customized it for targeting lobster or uh, lobster <laughs> targeting uh, swordfish by himself. Wow. So, you know, for example, he's got the rod holders are right next to where he sits when he's steering the boat. So he doesn't have to get up, mm-hmm. you know, to fish. And, and I, I it, it was about a 175 pounder that he caught. And I asked him how it was catching that fish by himself. And well, it turns out this is actually the third solo swordfish he's caught. Um, and he said it was easier than doing it in a parker or something like that, because in the parker you're driving the boat and you got to run out of the wheelhouse to fight the fish. And if you have to, you know, you're dealing with the rod holder that's far away from where you're driving the boat. Yeah. If you said, I mean, you can see it right on the cover. You can see how everything is right there. Mm-hmm. And arms reach away. Right, of. right. And, and the cover shot is, is him um, with this swordfish <laughs> sideways across this little boat. And just the shot alone was very lucky because obviously he was by himself, but he knew somebody who was in the area who came by, took the photo. Um, you know, you saw it before I did over the weekend mm-hmm. um, on Instagram, I think. And then we chased it down. And so we got a, a better image to put on the cover. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. You I know? mean, it's a it's a picture that tells a story for sure. But then once you actually read the story inside Western Outdoor News and see it right on there, or right on page one, uh, it, it really brings the whole thing together. It comes full circle. It's uh, it's a pretty incredible story. And what was it like talking to him? What is he, he, what is he, he like? Was, he definitely, like, um, he's a super cool guy. He's really laid back. Um, but, you know, he he wasn't just some guy who got lucky. I mean, this is what he built this boat for, or he didn't build it, but he customized it for this. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he has his own rods that he built just for this. I mean, everything about everything that's on his boat is made for solo swordfish wow. hunting. You it's, know, it's built for this. Yeah. yeah it, it, it was pretty cool. Like if you saw this guy steaming back into San Diego Bay, you would probably just think it was some guy who got lucky and <laughs> somehow managed, but this is what he was out there doing. Wow. You know, and I, we talked to Brandon Hayward too. And, uh, he said, this is his swordfish guy. So, wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like, um, one of our former editors when, when he was, uh, when he would, we were selecting cover shots, he would say, if you were walking past a newsstand, would you stop if you saw this photo? And, this one, there's no doubt. <laughs> like <laughs> anybody who fishes who sees this photo is going to stop and pick it up. Oh, like, yeah. Very cool shot. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. So that's in the September 30th issue of Western Outdoor News. Uh, another thing that's in that issue is uh, is some, some lobster preview content. We have uh, five on five with some tips for that. But before we get to lobster and in our interview with Jenny, can you talk to us a little bit about the Eastern Sierra right now as we approach the the fall season here? Yeah, it's finally finally this week. It's starting to f- feel like fall up there. Um, daytime temps are in the low seventies, and into next week it's going to be even cooler. Um, it's not quite to where the big brown trout are going to be prowling around. There's a lot of the drive up lakes are still kind of in summer mode where you got to go deep for them and troll lead core or, or, um, just fish deeper. Um, but it, it happens really quick. You know, I, I'm going to be up there next week and I'm going to fish Crowley and I'm probably going to fish up around Virginia Lake and probably down in Bishop Creek Canyon. So we'll have an update on all this, but just, 
I mean, just from looking at this week and next week, like I said, it's it's low 70s already as the daytime high, but by the time I'm up there fishing, we're looking at mid-50s. Oh, wow. So it, it's going to drop off pretty quick, and and uh, during the fall, you never know what to expect weather-wise. I mean, that's kind of the case anytime up there, but mm-hmm. it's, it's different, and the crowds will be gone, and this is one that I look forward to every year. Excellent. Great. Well... Uh, you're looking forward to that. I'm sure a lot of people listening are looking forward to the lobster opener. So I take it you won't be participating in lobster opener festivities. You have your week of fishing kind of planned. Yeah, yeah, that and the fact that I'm allergic to shellfish and can't eat it anyway. But uh, oh come on, <laughs> but yeah, I no honestly today I sent an email to one of my buddies and I said when are we going to try lobster fishing? You know because we've never done it. We both. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to eat any, but I'd like to check it out. I mean, obviously, yeah. I, I go through all these. Um, I mean, there's two stories in this week's paper, and they're already on the website, too, um, with a lot of good information um, for the whole lobster season, really. And uh, just reading about it makes me want to just try it. You yeah. Know, it'd be cool. To- and you should eat it and record it and see what happens. <laughs> see what happens, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's the worst that could happen? No, yeah. it's uh, – you know, we were talking about the dove opener a few uh, a couple weeks ago or on here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the same thing where, like, people really look forward to it and everybody bombs out there at the opener and then it kind of tapers off. Even though the season's still open, everyone goes at the opener. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, and we'll start getting photos from readers too. You mm-hmm. know, I always look forward to those. Yeah. Well, for those of you that are listening to this and maybe not going – uh, lobstering this weekend at the opener. Uh, we do have the Big Bear Trout Fest. So you heard at the beginning of the show, October 1st and 2nd at uh, Big Bear Lake, we have the Trout Fest. It's back and we have tons of prizes. We have excellent support from Mercury with two outboards that we're giving away. We have a prize wheel worth $3,000. We're giving away a guaranteed $3,000 at our prize wheel at that final uh, award ceremony. We have rods from Pfluger, reels from Fenwick, or actually the other way around. <laughs> uh, we have tons of stuff. We have trialing line for everybody, power bait for everybody, power bait jigs. So even entering before you even catch any fish, you're going to walk away with a ton of prizes. Again, that's a trout fest up at Big Bear Lake. So uh, for those of you guys interested in lobster hooping, we spoke to Jenny Hoffmeister, an environmental scientist with the invertebrate program at the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. And she has tons of fun facts, a couple of which uh, were news to me. So take a listen and let's hear from Jenny. So one of my main goals is to manage our California spiny lobster fishery. I'm responsible for both the commercial and recreational sides of this fishery. As I'm sure many people know, it's a very valuable fishery to California, both monetarily and also culturally. Um, And so there's always a lot going on. And we monitor catch records, look at landing receipts from the commercial side, look at all that report card data that the recreational fishers report to us to get a sense of the health of the fishery um, and make sure that we can all be fishing lobster for decades to come. Excellent. Yeah. So just off the top of my head, when you say you look at those report cards, is that a manual process or do you guys have machines that read these report cards? How do you, how do you see these? So if you have reported your report card catch online, then it 
kind of automatically goes into a spreadsheet for me to look at. Uh, if we, if you do send in your report card via mail, we have a staff. His name is Bruno. Shout out to Bruno in the San Diego <laughs> office who manually enters all of those report card data. Wow. And then once I have them in a spreadsheet, then I can do my analysis. I am a bit of a nerd, so I like looking at you know the making graphs and math and uh, you know just getting a sense of what trends are over time and um, if there's anything of interest that that pops out when I start looking at the data. Yeah, so let's talk about some of those trends. So over how long have you been with uh, the Department of Fish and Wildlife? I've been my, in my current position for four years, but I've been working with the department on various things for about eight. Um, and I inherited a lot of knowledge and a lot of information from my predecessors and a lot of data from my predecessors as well. Um, as you know, the report card reporting requirement has only been in place for about 10 years. It started in 2009, eight or nine, I believe. Um, and, but really the the data we look at are after 2013 and beyond because that's when our report card system switched from a annual report card to a seasonal report card. That's probably more information than anybody needs to know. But in terms of really being confident in the data and looking at the trends, again, I'm a nerd, uh, we really focus on since we've had that seasonal report card requirement um, just for consistency. Okay. Uh, so throughout all this time, you know, the past eight or nine years, what are some of the trends that you've seen uh, that would be interesting to our to our listeners? So surprisingly, you know, recreational catch is relatively consistent. You know, all of our understanding of how much lobster is caught and with what gear type it's caught with is very dependent on the data we get from the report cards. And we usually get only about 50% of the report card buyers reporting their catch to us. So it is important to know that the data I have are really just based on that 50% of lobster fishers who are reporting their data to us. And I can only use, you know, only make conclusions off the data that I have. Mm -hmm. um, in recent history, kind of the most interesting was and maybe not surprising to a lot of people was an increase in the number of report cards sold during the 2020-2021 season. We saw a lot of California residents and outside of California, you know, want to find additional ways to provide food for their family, have fun outdoors while they were navigating the pandemic. Um, we saw about 10,000 more report cards sold that season than in previous seasons. Um, but the next season, 2021-22, which ended this last March, the numbers of report cards sold kind of went back down to usual levels, which is about 35,000 report cards sold. Um, and the catch did go up a bit, but not a whole lot. It seems like that people were going out less. I think it was probably a lot of, you know, first timers trying to get into it. Maybe they didn't realize that it was as challenging as it was, or they got stung a few times and you know, lost hope, but um, we didn't see a whole lot of increase in catch. Uh, even with that big increase in number of cards sold. Okay. Um, all right. So let's talk now kind of about this year and what we've seen so far. It's been a, an unprecedented year off of the West Coast here. I mean, this, this Dorado summer has been absolutely insane. And they're catching Dorado uh, all the way up far north as far as Fort Bragg uh, with this hot water being pushed uh, pushed north. 
What does that mean for lobster season with this unprecedented summer we've had? What do you think that means going into the into the lobster season in October? Yeah, it certainly is a strange year. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard, but we saw a, I didn't, I wish I had, uh, a whale watching group saw a whale shark off the coast of San Diego. Yeah. Just, just absolutely wild. Um, and, you know, NOAA data suggests that we are entering our third year of La Nina conditions. And, you know, historically, La Nina conditions have not been great for lobster. You know, it does definitely gets a little complicated because when we're thinking about what's good for lobster, what's bad for lobster, really what we're thinking about is the number of offspring they can have, how successful they are at reproducing, how successful those babies are at, you know, going out of the plankton, out of that, out of the water column and becoming, you know, adults and hopefully one day legal size adults. Um, and because of that, that lag time, it's about five to seven years between when they hatch and when they actually show up in fishery data, it might be an indication. So we're always working on this multi-year lag. So, you know, it's hard to know based on our current conditions, what the current catch will be. I so wish I had a magic ball because I love to eat lobster as well. Um, but really the conditions that we're seeing and our understanding of how it affects uh, the reproduction of lobster, we might not see those results for, you know, five to seven years down the line. Wow. You know, there's some evidence that warmer waters mean, um, you know, more, more activity by the lobster, you know, there's some evidence for that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenging one when you're looking at these species that have, you know, a longer lifespan. And um, so, so yeah, have a longer lifespan and you're really trying to, to incorporate that lag time into our understanding of how the populations are going to change. But right. it is La Nina and La Nina's historically have not been super good for um, lobster catch, unfortunately. So you say that the um, the data that we're seeing that you're going to see after this season, you may not see the results of you know five to seven years from now. Does that mean the information and the data that we're looking at now with the results is from five to seven years ago or help me understand that. Oh, thank you. Sorry. That was, yeah. Sorry for not being clear on that. Yeah. So I'm talking about two different um, sources of information. So the information that comes from you all that comes from the fishermen and fishers who are out there getting lobster and reporting it back to us on the report card, we're getting that, you know, before the next season starts. So, you know, we are, we're not quite at the 2022, 23 recreational lobster season, we have all the data from this last season. So we know how much lobster was reported caught, you know, what types of gear people were using, where they were going uh, based on, you know, those very generic location codes. I promise I'm not going to reveal anybody's secret spots. Um, but the, in understanding kind of and predicting trends of the lobster populations, that's when I'm talking about that lag time. So, you know, it's 2022, say in 2015, there was a whole bunch of baby lobster that were successfully, uh, you know, successfully went from their planktonic existence, their time in the water column and settled down to adults and, and just way more than usual. If that were the case, then we might see a lot more adult lobster now. Oh, I um, see. Yeah. For, yeah. The, for the time for them to mature into actual uh, harvestable three and a quarter inch <laughs> lobster yes. for us. Exactly. So that's okay. one part of the of the equation. And like, you know, a lot of things in nature, it's never 
straightforward or, or easy. Otherwise, I'd probably be out of a job. But we have the other part of the equation, which is how adults might act now, you know, how they might act depending on um, availability of their favorite habitats to go look for food. They seem to really like red algae habitats or seagrass habitats. Um, you know, they're how mobile they are based on what happened this summer or mating and molting. Um, if you see a lot of molts on the beach, sometimes that's an indicator that the lobsters have experienced some growth recently, and that might be a good sign that there's some good legal size bugs out there. Um, but there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. There's that long-term, you know, growing up life cycle component that is very, very much interacts with all of these um, big climactic changes. And again, we have that lag that we're always trying to account for. And then you have you know, more in the moment, present day, you know, how are the lobsters moving? How many are there going to be out there? And that one is definitely a even, even harder one to answer, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So um, can you kind of give people some tips this season on, um, on how to stay legal and how to uh, let's specifically talk about if somebody pulls up their lobster net and they have a lobster with, um, with all those egg clusters under their tail, what should they do? Mm, that is a great question. So according to our regulations, it is perfectly fine to keep that female with, with eggs. Um, our closed season was chosen to account for that reproductive period. And by the time we've hit opening of the season, most of the females should have released their eggs by now. I know a lot of fishery participants who choose just by their own, you know, their own kind of personal rules that they release those females, but it is not required by our regulations. So if you have a legal lobster that has eggs and you want to keep her, you are welcome to. Got it. Okay. Um, are there any other uh, trends that you're seeing uh, over the summer? Anything that would be helpful to uh, to potentially help people catch more lobster as they uh, as they head out this this season? Uh, also, a very tough one. Um, I wish I also had the 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 foresight to tell everybody how to get their legal limit every single night. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, a lot of it is. A lot of it is luck. A lot of it is experience. You know, I know that there's a lot of people out there who have been fishing for years, much longer than I have. I grew up in Northern California, um, fishing, you know, getting abalone. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm a little newer to the to the lobster game, but it is I, it is fun. I'm learning a lot from my friends and my colleagues. And you know, even if I don't catch anything, which probably happens more than I should admit. Um, I, you know, I, I still have a good time. Um, and diving and hoop netting are two different approaches. You know, I certainly just want to encourage all of our participants to just be as safe as possible, especially opening weekend can be quite chaotic. Um, you know, there's always concerns about safety, you know, physical fitness, if you haven't been diving in a while, uh, boating safety. If you uh, if there's a lot of boats and a lot of divers and a lot of pots in the water, so you know I, I certainly just want to encourage everyone to, you know, to watch watch the the ocean conditions, pay attention to what's happening, fish within their limits, so everybody can get home uh, safe. Okay, and I'll put you on the spot for a second. Uh, 
What what is a fun fact that you've learned since being an envir- environmental scientist? What's a fun fact that you might have learned about lobster that uh, that the normal person may not know? Ooh, I like this question. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the most interesting ones is we actually have a very poor understanding of how old lobsters are. A lot of our the, a lot of the way we built our ability to age a species comes from bony animals like fish. Um, mm-hmm. Some people may have heard of otoliths, which are bones in the ear of the fish, and as the fish grows, that bone gets uh, you know bigger and bigger and has like rings on a tree. So it's actually very easy to age a fish because you just take out that bone. You have to kill it, of course. Take out the bone count the rings and you have a very good idea of how old that fish is. The problem with lobster is that all of those hard parts, they molt. So they don't have any external parts or any parts like bones that they've kept onto for their entire life. Uh, And so it's a very challenging thing to even determine the age of a lobster. Um, And, you know, there are, there's some components of it that they do keep. There's some internal um, kind of food mashing hard bits in their inside their digestive system that they seem to also hold on to for their their entire life there's some studies that have uh, looked at their eyes because their eyes they don't necessarily molt or they don't they don't you know remove when they molt so that might contain some age information but uh, we actually have a very poor understanding of how fast they grow and how old they are just because there's not a good way to measure their age Wow, interesting. Yeah, I uh, I can't imagine how you do something like that, but I guess that's that's for you guys to figure out. <laughs> uh, well, hey, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much, Dr. Hoffmeister. I um, appreciate you joining the show, and we're all looking forward to lobster season here at Western Outdoor News. So, you know, stay tuned for our reports, and uh, you'll see some of these uh, some of these critters as we get closer to the uh, to the season here. Fantastic. And I, you know, if anybody has any questions, we have an email dedicated to the lobster fishery and it's lobster at wildlife.ca.gov. And we're happy to address any other questions that anybody has. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining the show. Mm-hmm.